Kingway, Fox, Beard, Locker's action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Deed's a bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempak's cat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, trackers around the globe. It's Thursday, December 1st, 2022. It's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which means we are live, which means you can run to your phone right now and let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talk and at 646-668-2433. We'd love to hear from you. We've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. We have a double dose of Star Trek Prodigy. We're going to be talking about crosswords, crossroads, and masquerade. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me, as usual, are my truck experts. And we'll start off with Charles, who's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Another cold front coming in, so bundled up, ready to talk about Trek. Lots of Trek to talk about. And with our hat trick from Portland, we'll start off with David. How you doing, David? Uh, pretty good. Sorry to hear you're not feeling all that well, but uh, yeah, things are looking up over here so far. That's good. And also from Portland, our very own Paul, the wine splash toy guy. How you doing, Paul? Doing well, my friend. Doing well. That's good. And last but definitely not least, we have our very own Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing good. And uh, Jim, know that you have a team standing behind you ready to take the reins should your voice fail you, as uh, as our listeners may may have noticed. Jim's a little under the weather tonight, so but he's soldiering on because this I'm, is what I'm we do. Sure. I'm going to try to make it through. If not, uh, my Trek spurts will carry the banner of Trek talking. Don't you guys worry. We're in constant communication, so that's really good. Uh, we have 120,018 downloads of our podcast, which is awesome. And uh, Eric, where can fans go to find all of our podcasts? Well, Jim, the, the number one place that you should go is very easy to remember because if you listen to this podcast, you know it's called Trek Talking. And if you just go to trektalking.com, you will find all of our 500-plus podcasts on there, including even from the days before the likes of Charles and myself and Paul and David and all of us, and even before, almost before Jim, not quite, when Jim was new. That's right. You'll find, I believe there's over 600 um, podcasts available there before we were even Trek talking. Um, so that's pretty cool. And while you're there, you'll find a link to our Facebook page. And if you click on that link, you can head over to our Facebook page and we have 104,521 likes on our Facebook page. 
And right at the top of our Facebook page, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper. And a question asking, where are you listening from? All you need to do is tell us where you're listening from. And every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, will pick 15 lucky fans. If there's a heart next to your name, that means I have picked you. And you're going to be immortalized on Trek Talking as not only a Star Trek fan, but a supporter of Trek Talking. So head on over there and do that. and Give us a like while you're there as well. We'd love to hear from you. So without any further ado, Eric, let's start off with our fan shout-outs. You better believe it. These are the fans that we are going to immortalize. Your recording of this shall be on the Internet forever and ever and ever. So thank you so much to our number one top fan, Damon H. Collins, all the way down there in Queensland, Australia, sending us a flag, a heart, and a live long and prosper symbol. Live long and prosper to you. Peace and long life, Damon. Thank you so much for interacting with us on our Facebook page. Not to be outdone, Janet Ford, all the way up there in Leicester, England, sending us a Union Jack and a live long and prosper. Janet, thank you so much for carrying the torch just across the pond there for us. Christabella Shard. That's right. Christabella is from Bamberg in the Bavaria region of Germany. And Christabella is listening to us from there. Thank you so much, Christabella. Kapla to you. And thank you for listening in Germany. And also top fan Russell Watson from the UK. But guess what? Living in Thailand. So that's kind of a cool thing. We've got supporters all over the globe, spinning that globe over to Charles. Charles, who would you like to shout out tonight? Let's start off with top fan Antoinette McGruger Serino. Hi, we live in Virginia and dressed up like the iconic Lieutenant Uhura and Lieutenant Commander LaForge for a ho- annual Halloween party. Live long and prosper. Top fan Jane Hiller from St. Petersburg, Florida. Top fan, Timothy R. Twist from Fremont, Ohio. And let's finish it off with top fan, Sean Miller from Oregon. David, who's on your list? Well, excuse me. Well, it looks like I have somebody from Australia, Western Australia, David McGee. Sorry about my throat. Somehow, just all of a sudden, started getting something. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Chad Dyer from Kansas City, Missouri. Pete, uh, oh wow, that's a hard word to say. Gutierrez. <laughs> Gutierrez. Gutierrez. Sorry about that. Uh, it's from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, last on my list is, list is uh, Jackie Sensen from New Mexico, USA. Paul, who's on your list? Well, I've got big fan greetings to my friends over on the other side of the Atlantic in Silverdale, Newcastle, Underlime, Staffordshire in England, the United Kingdom. It's Michael Whitehouse reaching out to us and saying hello. So thank you, Michael, for being a fan of all things Trek and uh, of this show. So thank you so much. Uh, on the other hemisphere of the universe, we've got in New Zealand, Ash Harmon is saying hello. How are things down there uh, with that reverse Coriolis effect, Ash? I hope they're not keeping you up at night. I'm sure you're well used to it by now. 
And uh, speaking of Brits, we have a British expat living in southern Spain. Ah, somebody said, I'm done with the rain. I'm going to Spain. <laughs> Hanging out near Malaga with a pair of uh, sunglasses and uh, live long and prosperous signs. We've got Tracy and Kitching. I hope you are living the dream there in southern Spain, Tracy Ann. So thanks so much for being a fan. And lastly, for me, in sunny Scotland, we have John Newbeging. John Newbeging in sunny Scotland in Livingston is where John is hanging his hat. And I know sometimes you get a little foggy there, a little rainy, but uh, the sun bursts through all clouds eventually. Isn't that right, John? And let's pass it over to Jim. Jim, who you got? Well, we want to say thank you and applaud to Jerry Lindo, who is in Toronto, Canada, half an hour away from where they filmed Star Trek Discovery, which I think GM Chris is a few hours from there as well. So who knows? Maybe they know each other. We want to say thank you to Matt Smith. He hails from Schenectady, New York, which is my old stomping ground. So kapla to Matt Smith. We also want to say thank you and live long and prosper to Eddie Schneider from Miami, Florida, who gives us the live long and prosper. And finally, top fan Gary Loco from New Jersey in the U.S. of A. Those are our top fans for this week. If you'd like to be a top fan, just head on over to trektalking.com and uh, follow that over to um, um, <clears throat> to our Facebook page and tell us where you're from. And now it's time for Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. All right, guys, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those who sadly are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, tonight we have seven members of our Star Trek community that we're going to be remembering. Uh, our first remembrance this week goes out to actress Rhody Kogan, who was one of the three, the first witch, credited as the first witch in the TOS episode, Cat's Paw. And uh, Rhody Kogan just uh, had kind of a handful of credits to her name. Uh, she was on the soap Days of Our Lives, Gunsmoke, uh, apparently made a uncredited appearance in the Andromeda strain. So uh, happy birthday and Remembrance is going out to Rhodey Kogan. We're also saying happy birthday this week to actor Stuart Moss, who played Joe Tormolin in TOS's episode, The Naked Time. He's one of those chiseled-looking uh, Starfleet types, uh, and he actually had a second appearance in Star Trek as Hanar in the second season episode by any other name. Um, he was actually friends with the casting director of Star Trek and was originally considered for the role of David Bailey in the Corbomite Maneuver, uh, but then later, uh, you know, just got those uh, roles and made some appearances on shows like Hogan's Heroes and uh, that sort of stuff back in the day. Tons and tons of just television credits because he had that look. So uh, go look him up. Lots and lots of cool stuff. Stuart Moss lived to the ripe old age of 79 years old. Happy birthday. We're also saying happy birthday to Karen Montgomery, who played Mistress Dieta in TNG's episode Angel One. Oh, man. 
uh, like one of those women from TNG that just sort of like captured my teenage heart. <laughs> she actually started acting in the late 70s as she played Patricia in the Kojak episode in Full Command. That was her very first one. And curious thing about that episode, also starred Mark Alimo little person from Star Trek lore you may have heard of. Um, had later featured uh, roles in lots of different television shows and that sort of thing, but really got known later as a producer. Um, she produced several movies and television shows along the way in her latter career. So uh, unfortunately, we lost Karen Montgomery at the age of 66 to breast cancer. Happy birthday to Karen Montgomery. Happy birthday as well to Nathan Young who appeared as Genghis Khan in the TOS episode, The Savage Curtain, one of those old-timey episodes. Um, you know, this man had tons and tons of little tiny roles uh, over the next 35 years, but they were always cool, important ones. Um, he did a couple of things with other Star Trek alumni, alumni including Corvette Summer, uh, but he's probably best known for movies like Big Trouble in Little China, Dark Man, um, The Shadow, and when researching him, I learned about this short called Nathan Young versus Bruce Lee. I gotta watch that. That sounds really super cool. So, uh, happy birthday to Nathan Young. Happy birthday as well to Robert Simons, who played Vedic Porta in the DS9 episode Ascension, one of those older Vedics that we get to see uh, in DS9. Uh, Robert was born back in 1926 and uh, served in the U.S. Army in World War II, being stationed in Seattle at the time, and got involved in theater there and, and really became a high roller, sort of, so to speak, in the theater scene um, it, through the 60s and 70s, including playing a lot of big roles, directing some stuff. Uh, and then when he made the move to movies, uh, I know Paul is probably just loving at least one of this man's roles. Um, you ever heard of a little movie called The Exorcist, Paul? Oh, you know, a little. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's high on my list of uh, it's of my movies from the seventies. It's top three for me, yeah. right up there to me with uh, with Jaws and The Godfather. So absolutely. And good old Dr. Taney was Robert Simmons. Uh, so uh, happy birthday. Oh, and then one last thing I just wanted to mention about this man, because this is actually probably the first time I ever saw this guy. In 1982, there was a fantastic uh, TV miniseries called The Blue and the Gray that was all about the Civil War. And uh, Robert played General Robert E. Lee in uh, The Blue and the Gray. So happy birthday and remembrances going out to Rockard, Ro Robert excuse me, <laughs> uh, Simons. Uh, and then we have two more remembrances going out. Both of these are kind of heavy hitters in the Star Trek community, I will say. Uh, our next remembrance goes out to the first Star Trek captain that we ever got to see, uh, but not on television. <laughs> the first one that existed, but we would see him later. Jeffrey Hunter, that's right, the original Pike uh, from The Cage, uh, would have had a birthday this week. So Christopher Pike, the original Jeffrey uh, original Christopher Pike, Jeffrey Hunter, um, born Henry Herman McKinney's Jr., which I did not know. Um, we unfortunately lost Jeffrey Hunter when he was quite young at the age of 42. Um, and there's, it's basically he had a surgery that, that sort of went sideways, and you can look up details on that, but uh, unfortunately lost way too early. Uh, but in the short time we had him, um, he had about a dozen film credits to his name. 
um, collaborated with director John Ford uh, several times, um, worked his way into television, not just on Star Trek, but on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour um, and on the Green Hornet, uh, a couple of other places. Um, once again, a man who I think had that look of that era and had he uh, had the opportunity to live to a an older age, I would bet you that um, his list of stuff that he had done and participated in would be way longer than your arm. So, um, so happy birthday and lots of uh, good energy and remembrances going out to Jeffrey Hunter. Lost way too early, uh, and I'm happy that we at least get to see him now uh, in these latter years, not only in the menagerie but back at, uh, in his original portrayal in in the cage. So. Happy birthday, Jeffrey Hunter. And our last remembrance this week goes out to the man, the myth, and no kidding, the legend, uh, Ricardo Montalban. Uh, and if you don't know who he is, you should probably go back and check out your Star Trek lore because he is best known for his role, of course, as the genetically engineered guy who says, drives Kirk to say this. <laughs> So the coolest thing about Star Trek II was that I think it brought a lot of people back to TOS because people were like, wait, Khan is a repeat character? Uh, we've seen him before? What? Oh, yes, he was in an episode called Space Seed, and a lot of people didn't even know that when Star Trek II came out. Um, now, Ricardo Montalban is no slouch, and he did a lot of things in his career, uh, had hundreds and hundreds of credits really to his name, probably best known outside the Star Trek community as good old Mr. Rourke um, from Fantasy Island, yeah. which ran for six years from 78 to 84. Um, but if you don't know him from either one of those places, you may remember him as the Chrysler pitchman who touted the rich Corinthian leather, <laughs> which I just think is so awesome because when How we How come were, Ricardo Montalban has a Scottish accent? I'm super we, confused. Because I'm terrible. I, I, why did you have to do that to me, Paul? Why do you got to call me out on the air like that? We got to have a talk about that. Um, at any rate, uh, it was really funny when we were at Trek Conderoga because uh, the person that Jim and I saw who uh, had dressed as Khan from Star Trek II made a joke uh, during his presentation of himself about rich Corinthian leather, which I thought was very meta and very cool and very Ricardo Montalban centered. So, um, you know, he started working in the 40s and he has, as I said, over 200 film and television credits uh, to his name. He is also a hell of a singer um, and did lots and lots of music in the 40s and 50s, which I think is super cool. And he actually kept working all the way uh, up until his death in 2009, despite the fact that he was confined to a wheelchair from 1993 on. So he continued to work even after being confined to a wheelchair. Uh, the man just loved what he did. Um, has a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Screen Actors Guild. Um, there's actually a theater in Hollywood named after him, the Ricardo Montalban Theater in Hollywood. So um, one thing that I have not seen that I really would like to see is apparently there is a tribute film to him included on the remastered Blu-ray release of Star Trek II, uh, which came out in 2009. So if you have that Blu-ray, 
uh, DVD and Blu-ray of Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, the remastered one. Apparently that has a super cool film tribute to him. So happy birthday and remembrances going out to Ricardo Montalban, guys. Would you like to say anything about this, this, the man, the myth, the legend here? I know um, Leslie would have said all kinds of stuff about she him. Would. Yeah, so <laughs> she had a great she, – she ended up with a great relationship with him. She'd done some work with him on Fantasy Island when she went to go do Naked Gun uh, two and a half. He immediately recognized exactly who she was. He just overall was a great actor. It's most people thinking, oh, that makeup on in Star Trek Two was like, no, that was his own chest hair. <laughs> no chest hair, his bare muscular chest. Yeah, but he was muscular. <laughs> he was, he super was muscular. built. He worked out for that movie. He worked out. Yeah, cool. Well, and if we're uh, talking Leslie, we have to mention Planet of the Apes because he was in Return of the Planet of the Apes. So. Uh-huh. All right. Excellent. All right. Crossing lots and lots of cool sci-fi genres. Ricardo Montalban, happy birthday and remembrances going out to him. So I am now going to pass the remembrance baton over to Charles, who will activate it as a they-are-still-with-us birthday list. Right, Charles? They are. Let's start off with Beverly Washburn who played Lieutenant Arlene Galloway in TOS episodes of Deadly Years. You've often seen, if you don't recognize her, you see a picture of her, you'll recognize the actress. But has and is acting since the 1950s and is still doing some roles. Patricia McPherson portrayed Mistress Ariel in TOS. NG's Angel is probably well known for her role as Bonnie Barstow on Knight Rider. Newman played Malik in Enterprises Borderlands, Cold Station 12, and Arguments. I'm going to talk about those later. Ah, Also appeared in. Oh, that's that's the cadet review right there. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, also was well known for appearing in Frank Hubbard's Dune 2000, the TV series. Scarlett Palmer, most recognized by Star Trek fans for her years on Voyager, in 16 episodes as Naomi Wildman. Not my thing, but one of her next biggest roles was Kira Hart in the series Reba. Warren Molson played the role of Vice Admiral Marcus Holt in TNG's Interface and later appeared as Vice Admiral Owen Paris in Voice episode Persistence of Vision and 30 Days. Has uh, 122 credits on IMDb from 1966 to 2005. Long career. Jude Ciciola played a Romulan Commander Saran in the movie in the Star Trek movie Nemesis. Golden Brooks portrayed Attila Alicia Travelers Travers 
in Enterprise's Stormfront and Stormfront Part 2. And the last one on my list, and we've got a little deal with this one, is Sarah Mitch, who played the role of Lieutenant Commander Ariam in the first season of Discovery and Lieutenant Nielsen in the second through fourth season. For sci-fi fans, she was in four of the five first episodes of season one of Expanse. And for Jim, in honor of her birthday, he has three autographed photos of Lieutenant Ariam from season one of Discovery that he would love to give away. All you need to do is go to... (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) All you need to do is visit trektalking.com, click on the blue microphone in the bottom left, and tell us why you want this picture. It's as simple as that. Just like Lucky Fan... 1A Leslie. Yes. Yes. So, Come on, uh, folks. Give, give, us, give us those personal greetings, why you want that picture, and we might even put, put your little conversation on the air. So Leslie called us and left us this message, and she won an autographed picture <laughs> of Mitch just for leaving this brief message. Yes, hello there. Kapla. And LLAP to all of you. Um, I absolutely adore that picture. And being a cosplayer as well as an actress and having been in The Walking Dead and having to wear many prosthetics on my face, I can greatly appreciate how that per- the actor had to put all those prosthetics on. And it took a long time. I'm quite sure of that. Fantastic job. Great job. I love it. So congratulations to Leslie. If you'd like one of the two remaining photos, head over to trucktalking.com, click on the blue microphone like Charles said, tell us why you want that picture. Even if you're listening on Tuesday or Wednesday or next Saturday, you can always go to trucktalking.com and leave us a message. So please do that and walk away with an awesome autograph photo of Lieutenant Arian from Star Trek Discovery Season 1, personally signed by Sarah Mitch. Okay, so, uh, Paul, you're up next. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. All kinds of interesting folks this week on my roster, but I'm super excited about the first one, the great actor Daniel Davis. And that may not be a name that you immediately recognize, but at some point I'm sure that's a name that's going to live on mightily strongly for many folks. Daniel Davis played the role of the holographic professor Moriarty in two classic next-gen episodes, Elementary Dear Data and Ship in a Bottle. And if you haven't watched those in a while, wow, they are absolutely outstanding, really top-tier episodes. And I don't think it's any secret if anybody's watched the, uh, uh, the trailer for the upcoming third season of Picard that uh, no matter how long it may be, we don't know. But at some point during that uh, third season, Professor Moriarty is making an appearance and Daniel Davis will be back inhabiting that character once again, which is super exciting. Uh, this is a guy who's done a lot of incredible uh, work in his life, um, been in all kinds of great things. He is a Navy captain in the hunt for red October um, he's been in the, the tremendous movie, The Prestige. And for if you're a 90s TV aficionado, if you uh, watch the Fran Drescher show, uh, The Nanny, for a long time, um, there's that butler 
Niles, okay. right? A lot of people forget so that, right? But the, so the quote-unquote English butler, and for years, people would go up to Daniel Davis, and they were absolutely convinced that he is was English, right? Completely oh. so. And he would have to break it to them and say, hey, I'm a southern boy from Arkansas, man. <laughs> you know, fantastic. <laughs> but absolutely great. Um, uh, Oregonians, uh, that are on the call with me uh, tonight. I think it's worth pointing out that one of uh, the first uh, gigs that brought this dude into prominence was down south at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in uh, Ashland. Um, Mr. Davis has done quite a bit of uh, Shakespeare in his life. So a really, really, uh, I think, a living legend, a tremendous actor uh, who's just one of those great journeyman worker actors that are just wonderful to watch. I'm super Super looking forward uh, to his return to the Star Trek universe uh, early next year on Picard. So happy birthday, Daniel Davis. I hope you're having a wonderful day, the likes of which you most certainly deserve. Now, we've got a pair of uh, similarly aligned birthdays here. Uh, Both of these are actors who work together in the classic first season original series episode, The Conscience of the King. We were just talking about Shakespeare with our last guest uh, birthday on here. Well, of course, Conscience of the King is that wonderful episode that riffs all over Shakespeare with the traveling company of players, the Caridian players, right? And uh, is he or is he not a murdering autocrat, uh, Anton Caridian? Uh, We find out that his daughter, the lovely Lenore Caridian, was played by actress Barbara Anderson. Uh, who inhabited that role. So we meet her. She's the one who, uh, one of the the first early uh, uh, love interests for Captain Kirk that you would have so many of throughout the course of the original series, but she was definitely one of the first and uh, all kinds of little poetic uh, things they say to each other (laughs) that are pretty funny when you watch them now, but it's a great episode. But also in that same episode, um, who uh, the the person who's really the character that's the catalyst to start things off? Uh, Kirk's old friend Tom Layton is the one who is there on that planet, and he asks because they were both survivors. He asks Kirk to come there and check it out because they were both survivors of the Caridian massacre, right? And that is the actor William Sargent who played uh, the doomed Thomas Layton, who doesn't make it very far into that particular uh, episode. Uh, William Sargent has done tons and tons of stuff uh, back in the day. Um, uh, folks like myself of a certain vintage will remember him in terms of both like on the Twilight Zone and on the classic series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which if you've never watched before is pretty darn entertaining. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots and lots of great stuff there. Um, again, one of those folks who just worked constantly on shows like Mannix, Barnaby Jones, The Streets of San Francisco, uh, SWAT, uh, you name it, uh, did a ton and ton of work. So happy birthday to uh, William Sargent. Uh, I love this next actor. This next actor is great. Uh, Garrett Graham. A lot of people don't know uh, Garrett Graham by name, but uh, if he's actually been in a couple of great uh, Star Trek performances. Uh, the one I want to talk about just briefly is uh, from early Deep Space Nine episode, Captive Pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of minutes ago, Leslie on the recording was talking about uh, how wonderful it is when actors can endure a whole lot of makeup and still shine through. Well, in that uh, particular uh, episode, Garrett Graham portrayed the Hunter of Tosk 
in that episode. And it's a pretty heavy makeup appliance. But, man, does he come through uh, like crazy in that role. Um, really a terrific performance uh, from him. Uh, he's done all kinds of uh, performances, all kinds of work, a lot of genre stuff as well. But I don't want to forget um, – Without makeup, you can see, get a really good look at Garam Graham in the Voyager episode, Death Wish, where he plays the other Q that uh, folks slap with the moniker of Quinn in that episode. So he's uh, definitely had a, a couple of pretty substantial roles in Star Trek, Garrett Graham has. Um, there's a wonderful uh, Brian De Palma film from uh, the early 1970s that I recommend called Phantom of the Paradise. Um, if you've not seen it, it's great. Uh, I'm pretty sure there would be no Rocky Horror Picture Show um, if it were not for Phantom of the Paradise, which oh. came first. Very influential uh, picture. Um, it's great, uh, but he's got a very substantial role in that picture as well. All kinds of great stuff uh, from Law and Order uh, to uh, One True Thing, uh, uh, the Child's Play movies, uh, really funny uh, picture from 1980 called Used Cars that Bob Gale worked on with Robert Zemeckis. Uh, he's done a ton of great stuff. So uh, happy birthday uh, for sure, Garrett Graham. Moving over to the Enterprise uh, realm of the franchise, uh, happy birthday to Menina de Amor Fortunato, who portrayed the Orion slave girl Maras in the Enterprise episode Bound. I'm sure many folks remember that episode and certainly that uh, portrayal. And then also coming up here, um, the, uh, the actor, uh, we're, we're talking a lot about Voyager here all of a sudden, in the last couple <laughs> of references here, but um, played a character who is frequently maligned in discussions of that uh, particular show. But uh, Tom Harold Wright goes by Tom Wright professionally. Um, Tom Wright is the actor who played Tuvix in that self-titled episode, Tuvix, which folks remember. And a lot of people like to diss on that episode, but uh, I wouldn't diss on Tom Wright's performance. He's a fantastic oh. uh, stage actor, uh, really, really great. He's been on everything from Seinfeld. He's done Steven Seagal movies. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, the movie Barbershop uh, with Ice Cube. If you have never watched Barbershop, it's an absolute treat, but you can see... Uh, uh, Tom Wright in there uh, working away. He's just great. He's just done a ton of really, really excellent work over the years. Uh, remarkable performer. Um, pretty much, I think he was in Friday or next Friday as well. He's done a lot of those uh, pictures. Um, definitely uh, an actor of great uh, talent uh, that I, I highly recommend following if you get a chance to see him in something. Really, really great. Next up for me, um, uh, moving over to the movies here, um, we have Lydia Wilson. Actress Lydia Wilson portrayed Kalara in Star Trek Beyond. Now, that was not the main alien character in Star Trek Beyond. We don't want to confuse them uh, there. Kalara was that uh, alien that had the very unusual kind of uh, back-sweeping head ridges on her costume there. But she was like a, a Starfleet uh, officer in that show, in that particular movie. So uh, Lydia Wilson, happy birthday. Uh, we still like you uh, very much in Star Trek Beyond. Um, an interesting movie. I don't think it gets uh, necessarily all the uh, credit it deserves. Incredibly entertaining, though. Really, really fun. And last, I have to confess, this next actress here, I did not know she was on this show. Um, oh, somehow I yeah. missed it. Mm -hmm. I missed it, or, uh, you know, it's in a haze of 
something that I won't get into, <laughs> of course, of time. But in the Voyager episodes, Futures End and Futures End Part 2, holy moly, was I slightly surprised to find out that the absolutely magnificent Sarah Silverman was on that show. I mean, it blows my mind. One of the great stand-up comics of our age, absolutely hilarious. Um, I'm a big fan of comedians and actors who don't have much of a filter and who just call out BS when they see it. And that is definitely uh, Sarah Silverman's uh, calling card for sure. She's done a lot of amazing work over the years. Um, a tremendous personality. Um, she's right up there with the great comedians, I think, of all time. And so uh, I got to go back and uh, check out uh, some of those Voyager episodes because I, I've got to see uh, Sarah Silverman on Star Trek. That's something I, I was delighted to discover because I think if there's anything that we've learned, it's that Star Trek can always surprise you and always reveal things you did not know. And you can go back and gain even more from it. And with that, I am just all a Twitter at the next birthday that is about to be revealed by Jim. I can see Jim in my mind's eye with a nice fork <laughs> and a lobster bib on. He is so excited to announce this next birthday. I can almost see his face ready to pop. It's going to be the best thing ever. I cannot wait. Jim, I'm keeping you out of suspense. Who would you like to wish a happy birthday to, sir? Uh, uh, as I clear my throat, uh, well, this next birthday, I think, uh, for me, is a big one because uh, he happened to marry the daughter of Desi Arnaz Jr. And if you guys don't know who that is, I'm not going to tell you. Go find out. But um, if it wasn't for Lucille Ball, we wouldn't have Star Trek. So, therefore, if it wasn't for this next guy, we wouldn't have Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yes, Lawrence Luckinbill played Cybox, Spock's half-brother. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which, in my opinion, is unarguably the best Star Trek movie ever made. And if you want to find out why, come on to Trek Conderoga next weekend. And I mean, not next weekend, when they do it in August. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to do a whole panel on why Star Trek V is the best Star Trek movie. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Happy You're going to do a panel on that. I am. I'm going to do a panel wow. on that. Wow. Absolutely. I think you should rehearse with us first, man. We can be the, <laughs> the counterpoint audience and uh, we can help you. I think you should it's, rehearse it's with us. It's going to be good. It's going to be a very well-received panel. People are going to love it. They're going to have a blast because if they don't, I'm going to swing my batlet at them and they won't be happy. I won't even let them touch my batlet, but it'll be fun. And of course, let's not forget that Cybok was revealed at the end of Strange New Worlds. So we will be seeing more of Cybok. So happy birthday to Lawrence Luck and Bill. On the next birthday, Goes out to Allison Pill, who played Dr. Agnes Gerardi in Star Trek Picard, uh, uh, season one and season two. A Borg arty, actually. She's now the queen of the Borg, and she can belt out with the any of with the best of us. Uh, Pat Benatar's Shadows of the Night, uh, which she actually sang, which I thought was phenomenal. So happy birthday to Allison Pill. And uh, the last on my list, who is a human anyway, is Ella McKenzie, who portrayed the young version of Soji Asha 
in Picard's episode, The Impossible Box. She's the, uh, the little girl that was having the flashbacks, who actually wasn't a little girl because Soji's an android. It was a false memory implanted. And Ella McKenzie played the young version. Now, the reason why I'm so excited is because for the first time, and I don't know when, I have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Five. Five Klingons. <laughs> in my birthday calendar. Five. It's an invasion. It, which is why I had to drink my fluids and work my voice so that I could get through these birthdays because I've got five Klingons and I definitely don't want to miss my five Klingons and of course Lawrence Luckenbill from the best Star Trek movie. So first time we want to say kapla to Sterling Macer Jr. who played the role of Tog on TNG's episode Birthright part two he also uh, the, the the character not the actor can be seen on the episode weege dooge on uh, lower decks he is the character that stabs the evil captain and takes control of the klingon bird of prey uh the character was tog not voiced by the same actor but the same character happy birthday to sterling macer jr um we also want to say kapla to John Larroquette. Now, a lot of you people probably know him from another TV series that he did, which was big, big in the early 80s. Um, but we're going to mention him in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, as Moss. And he's the one that Kirk says, we'll kill you later. And he never kills him. Now, this character goes on to have a big role in the Star Trek comic books of the time back in the day. Um, but as far as the movies, the TV shows go, we never see this character ever again. But he is very big in the comic books. So that's really, really cool. Happy birthday to John Larroquette. All right. This next one, guys, is a biggie, a really biggie. We want to say happy birthday and kapla to Kenneth Mitchell. Now, Kenneth Mitchell portrayed not one, not two, not even three, but four characters on Star Trek Discovery. And of those four, three of them were Klingons. So this is like a, a, a Klingon hat trick within the Klingon birthdays. So <laughs> Mitchell first played Cole in Star Trek Discovery Season 1. He was the bald, evil Klingon that came and took control of everything and uh, left Tukuma stranded in the graveyard of ships. He would, after the ship blew up, Cole was dead. He would come back in season two as Cole Shaw, which was the father of Cole. And this time when he reappears, he has the more traditional Klingon look because who knew that Klingons shaved their heads when they went to war? Who knew? I didn't know. <clears throat> None of us knew until Discovery told us. That's why the Klingons had no hair in season one. They were at war. Once the war was over, they grew their hair. So Kenneth Mitchell plays Cole Shaw. And he's got that much more traditional Klingon look. But he also played another Klingon. He was the, um, well, I don't know how what you would call it. Um, Laurel and Ash Tyler, uh, who was actually Volk, had a child. But Volk was, uh, altered his DNA to be human. So is it the child part human, part Klingon, or is it all Klingon? No. That's a debate for geneticists to have. But he played Tenevik, uh, who was 
the uh, son of Nun, and he oversaw the Klingon crystal on Boroth. So Kenneth Mitchell brought that Klingon character to life. And in the fourth season, was it the fourth season? No, it was the third season. Was it the third or fourth season? Uh, third? For, for Aurelio? Yeah, that was a fourth, right? Or third? Uh, no, third Aurelio season. was the third season. So what happened? Kenneth Mitchell uh, came down with ALS and ended up in a wheelchair. And so they wrote this character of Aurelio for him in the wheelchair so that he could be on the show. And he portrayed Aurelio on Star Trek Discovery. So a happy birthday and kapla to the awesome Kenneth Mitchell. We hope we have him on our birthday list for years to come. Uh, we don't want to see um, Eric mentioning him. We want to mention him again next year. So happy birthday to Kenneth Mitchell. Okay. The next person on my list played a Klingon as well. We want to say happy birthday to Christian, Kristen Van Stratton, who played Lieutenant Lanneth in the Enterprise episode, Divergence. This was the, the character, if you guys remember this episode, this is where the Klingon's head ridges melted off. Yeah. And she, she was one of the Klingon females who had no head ridge, that it melted off. And she thought she was going to be an outcast and so on and so forth until Dr. Fox came up with a way to get their ridges to grow back. And uh, so she was that character. She was that Klingon female without Klingon head ridges that we see in the Enterprise episode, Divergence. And finally, we want to say happy birthday to James Avery, who played General Kavak in the Enterprise episode, Affliction and Divergence. He's the, the leader of the Klingon armada that is sent to wipe out everybody on the planet to keep the, di- the disease from spreading. And, of course, they talk him out of it, and everybody's saved, and uh, Dr. Flox comes up with a cure. <coughs> I made it. I made it through, guys. Yeah. I'm surprised. Good job. But I did. I made it. But wait. But wait. But wait. But wait. There is more. Those were our Klingons, but we are not done. We have two more birthdays to mention. The first one is very near and dear to my heart because... If you go to trucktalking.com, way, I'm talking pre-Charles, I'm talking pre-Eric, um, I'm talking way, way back. Uh, <clears throat> Truck Talking used to do Star Trek Attack Wing, and we used to have a segment that Vax's Shipyard, where we would review all the new Star Trek Attack Wing ships, and Vax was the Ferengi that ran Vax's shipyard. And Vax was, of course, voiced by none other than the awesome, the incredible GM Chris. And he was one of the first co-hosts that came along and joined this podcast. He was doing uh, YouTube videos with Captain Stu on Star Trek Attack Wing. And I reached out to him one day and said, hey, how would you and Captain Stu like to come on Trek Talk and live and talk with all the Attack Wing fans. And, of course, they did, and that was, at that time, was one of our biggest, biggest shows. We had so many callers that we had to have them back on a second show. Yes, Attack Wing was huge back in the day, many, many, many moons ago. And uh, it was so big 
that I asked GM Chris if he would come on as a regular co-host of the show, which he did for a long time. I think right up until joined us. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I had some overlap with GM Chris, and that's when I became friends with him, and um, and now we've done uh... – now we've done lots of cool things together, like play D and D online. <laughs> yeah, so GM Chris is is like a a, a cornerstone of Trek talking. Uh, he he goes back to the Admiral Ken days. I mean, he's he's one of the people that shaped and formed and and helped to build Trek talking into what it is today. Well, so and we Jim, don't say, don't forget about his technical contributions. Like literally for years the only way that anybody heard our shows were that Chris would take them take the recording and upload them to the thing so that they could go out to the masses. Like he just did that relentlessly for years and years and years. It's amazing. Now it's all automated, but man. Yeah, something. now we do it all automatically, but back back in the day GM Chris had to do it himself so gm chris is is a brick he's the brick in the mortar of trek talking but wait i'm not done uh <clears throat> right around the time that um charles joined us i believe yep um yeah i think it was around the time that charles joined us we used to do uh segments on star trek online and our Star Trek Online professional at that point in time was none other than Nate from Vegas. And Nate would come on and give us updates on Star Trek Online, and he would join our conversations and, and was really an integral part of this podcast back in the early days. And from time to time, Nate will still pop on. Uh, but Nate was around, uh, well, when was that, Charles? Three, four years ago? I'm old. I'm getting loose track of time. Oh, at least four years. I'm going to say at least the past four years. Yeah, four years. Um, so Nate's the one that got me into uh, Attack Wing, basically, mostly. So GM Chris and Nate are both very, very important parts of Trek Talking. We would not be here today doing episode 502 if they hadn't been with us in the past. So thank you so much to both of you guys. And I have to send out to you a very special happy birthday from the awesome, the incredible Weird Al Yankovic. guys that wraps up our birthdays for this week and uh i think at this point in time i'm going to just run the board because i've burned through all my goodwill and sentiment my voice i can feel it is starting to crack so i'm going to run the soundboard from this point on and i'm going to turn it over to to our very own eric 
and I will play all the sound bites from this point on. Thank you for listening, guys. I'll be around in the background. Take it away, Eric. All right. Well, this is the part of the show that we get really excited about because we actually get to dig into the meat and potatoes of what we're doing this week. So this week we are reviewing two episodes of the fantastic show Star Trek Prodigy, Uh, two shows because we actually missed our podcast last week thanks uh, to the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh, And it actually kind of worked out because uh, these two episodes are kind of a two-parter and they work really well together. So one of the things that we – well, Jim, did you have a soundbite that you wanted to play before we get started on the uh, fan scores? Uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got both sound bites and both Admiral's Longs uh, to play. So do it. Let's um, hit our first sound bite, and then we will go through our fan scores. Hi, I'm Kate Mulgrew, and I voice Catherine Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy. This week's lesson is to never let fear of failure keep us from doing great things. It can feel very scary to do something new or important, but letting fear keep us from pursuing a goal is a surefire way to never accomplish anything great. Have you ever wanted something so bad, but you're afraid if you say the wrong thing you'd mess it up? Just consider this week's episode of Star Trek Prodigy, where Dahl meets Vice Admiral Janeway and is scared to tell her about the protostar. Fear of failure has killed more dreams than anything else, so I usually go for it. And though the timing isn't quite right for Dahl's full story to be revealed, he takes action to keep Janeway and her ship safe from the weapon aboard the Protostar. Hold on to your butts! <laughs> including outrunning an avalanche. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Jim. And uh, every week we like to make sure that we check in with our fans and see what our fans thought about uh, the episode. And so for this week's episode, Crossroads... Here are our fan scores. Good old J.P. Carden, a friend of the show, uh, hung out with him at Trek Conderoga a few months ago, gave it a solid eight. Really loving the show. Tony Miller gave it an eight. Christy Cummings gave it also an eight. They have Captain Janeway too gruffly. Billy Grisak gave it an 8.5. Not sure about the new Murph. Dustin S. Wing gave it a 9. This is Prodigy hitting its stride. Daniel Kroncheck gave it a 10. Max Antani gave it a 9. Sue Irwin gave it a 10 with three exclamation points. It was flat out fantastic. Patrick Raphael Sisko gave it a solid 7. Patrick said, the issue I'm having with some of the recent episodes really has to do with the brevity of the running time. This episode once again felt extremely rushed, and the story deserved to be a two-parter in lieu of a standard 45 minutes. Ah, uh, Patrick, you got your wish. Uh, it became a two-parter in my opinion, so thanks, Patrick. And Chris Troney gave it a 10. This was a great episode. This would have made a fantastic mid-season return. Fear of failure has killed more dreams than anything else. So I say go for it. Love, Captain Janeway. Thanks, Chris. And that averages us out this week uh, for a fan score of 8.8, which is uh, you know, pretty good among fan scores. So, uh, so let's talk about it. Well, actually, before we talk about it, we should probably – pass the baton quickly over to Charles because one of the things we like to do is we always like to tie the latest episodes of Star Trek to Star Trek lore in the past. And Charles takes us 
on a trip in his cadet training. Thank you, Eric. And this these past two episodes, it's like, oh, there's not much. And I started looking at it, like, oh, no, there's a lot of details in this these episodes. Let's start off with one of our characters, TNG's The Outrageous Okana, Season 2, Episode 4. And we get the origin of Okana. Oh, we talk about the neutral zone. Well, let's see. We could talk about TOS's Balance of Terror, Season 1, Episode 14. We could do Strange New World version, A Quality of Mercy, Season 1, Episode 10. And we can discuss TNG's The Neutral Zone, Season 1, Episode 26. If you go out looking, you'll find even more out there. But then you ask the question, well, why is there a neutral zone? There's a neutral zone because of the Treaty of Algaron. Oh, well, let's look on to TNG's Pegasus. Season 7, Episode 12 discusses it. Enterprise, The Year of the Voyages, Season 4, Episode 22 also discusses it. We see a species chasing our friends, known as a Zindi. Let's go back to Enterprise, Season 2, Episode 26. In Enterprise, Season 3, you can learn a lot about the Zindi. So that's just a lot of episodes just for the first episode. I'll be back for the second episode. Yeah, Charles, and we get to see those Zindi that we see here are the reptilian species. Everybody remembers that there's five different species of Zindi out there, and we get to see the reptilian ones in this episode. And so before we get our Trexpert opinions, I think we've got one more Vice Admiral log we might like to check out. So hit it, Jim. Vice Admiral's log, Stardate 61326.1. We found them. It was during a rendezvous at the Nazi Depot the only habitable outpost within three sectors. Like a watering hole in the arid desert, it's drawn the worst of the quadrant here, including the outlaws who stole the protostar. What Officer Frex failed to mention was their age. Little more than teenagers by human standards. But appearance can be deceiving. The Ocampa are adults at nine years, while those on the Miri homeworld look like children for centuries. And these thieves are no strangers to deception. Posing as innocent refugees, they deployed an unknown weapon that ripped the Starfleet station to pieces. Once we seize the Protostar, we'll download their logs to the Dauntless and corroborate any lies per Starfleet regulations. Despite our efforts, they escaped into the neutral zone. We nearly endangered our fragile truce with the Romulans and the evacuation dealings there. Jean-Luc would never forgive me. Wow. Yeah. So season one, episode 14, Crossroads, when the crew attempts to secure transport to the Federation, they unwittingly cross paths with the vice admiral who is hunting them. Good old Janeway. Uh, Trexperts. Let's chat about it, man. What did you guys think about this episode? Who wants to start oh, the def- discussion? Go it ahead, was Charles. Definitely an, it, it was definitely, I think, an interesting episode. We got 
a definite new version of Okana. Definitely the bit of the pirate. We get them seeing that we get to see them at the beginning trying to hide the protostar and leave it into hibernation while they try to escape and try getting to Starfleet. And they find out they're not sure they want to go to Starfleet, especially when Starfleet is seeing they're trying to hunt them down. And all, and they actually learn a bit that <coughs> there's a <coughs> there's a missing crew member, one that they don't <coughs> personally know yet. Yet Janeway blames them for him being missing in Jacotay. But this was this was an interesting view of a. little space station that does a lot of different business and each of our mates trying to find a way of discussing. I love uh, oh uh, our our, I can't think our Tusk and Uh, Jacob Pog Jacob Pog his interactions with his species. Now he thinks his species is so great, and yet he runs into it, one of his own. And it's like, yeah, you're just a little runt. <laughs> that was a fun interaction in there. And it's how the crew interacts with different people. And shall we talk about that escape? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, the oh. the episode really turns to action uh, at one point, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I just thought the chasing yeah. was was great. It's a li- that was a little bit Star Warsy, but I think it fit perfectly in that scene. And it was great to see all of a sudden they find that super energy, stick it in there, and zoom off they go. <laughs> Yeah, I half expected the thing to like blow up after they used the super fuel or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it did not blow up. And uh, you know, you're no. right. It's funny. I never. Th- uh, you said Okana's back. Um, the fact that they give him an eye patch is kind of funny. You know, yeah. makes him even more piratey. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's what he was in this episode. I think he was a bit of a pirate, but he was that pirate we needed to make that escape. Yeah, how I kind of kept across, how do right how do we yeah. get how do we get to the neutral zone? We hide our engine or hide our engine signature, and the Romulans won't see us. Well, and we'll talk. For the you most know, part. we could talk about yeah. kind of where they take his character in this in the second episode. But I being so Okana was always out for himself, right? So yep, for me this Okana was kind of like. I don't know if he's just older and softer or what it is, but it doesn't seem like like what's in it for Okana in this. And I don't know. Yes. Like if you're a hardcore Star no, Trek I, fan, I don't know if he was totally believable. No, I, I think he was still out for himself in some way or another, which we know more about next episode. Yeah, yeah. I know. What did you think about this? But one, he Paul? was still. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He was definitely still a ladies' man. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Paul? But Paul, 
Yeah, I, I would say this is one of the top two episodes of this uh, since they've come back in uh, in October. I'd say this is one of the top two episodes for me. Um, extremely well done. Um, I love the uh, the polar environment was just terrific. I thought that was rendered really, really nicely, uh, made for a real fun change of pace. Um, and for the last few episodes, we've been watching these two, uh, you know, side by side plot strands happening you know concurrently and then they finally came together and that was really exciting in terms of the way that was done um a lot of near misses right as dolls like hiding behind uh you know various crates or things to avoid being he's about to reveal himself and then he hears something that makes him not want to right and those kind of things were, were really clever um great suspense to that um very engaging everyone's learning a little bit something that they don't you know that throws their expectations out the window Right. It's like what you were talking about, Jenkin Pog, right? He's got this thing he's had about himself. We find out that's not true. And that's a theme that we see in the next episode, too. Everything you were sort of thinking you knew about yourself, you have the rug pulled out from under you. and You find out it's not quite that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have absolutely. that in a couple of uh, circumstances in these two episodes that I think complement each other really well. But I thought this was really well done. It was very good suspense on here um we're finally getting to feel like we're spending a little bit more time with admiral janeway and her compatriots uh the dauntless crew learning more about them and uh i i just you know i still uh i'm a little vexed with admiral janeway that she is willing to just take everything at face value uh in terms of uh her assessment of you know these you know, uh, young folks that she just assumes are terrorists and her willingness to trust her passenger down in sickbay so easily. I would expect more from Janeway. I think she'd be perhaps maybe a little bit more savvy and be willing to look before assessing. She's making a lot of snap judgments and she's going to find that everything she thought she knew is not correct as well. So she's going to be going through a similar eating crow uh, humility lessons that uh, all of our young friends on the protostar are. But I thought this was a terrific episode. Um, There was kind of the mild suspense of what's going to happen with our hatchling compadre there. There was, you know, how's that going to go? I thought it was really, really great. Um, Very entertaining, um, really well done and moved along at a great, uh, fun, adventurous pace. So for me, really, really good. Very enjoying. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. And actually, to the point that you just made about Janeway and kind of her portrayal in this one, one of the moments that kind of made me as a Janeway fan and as a Voyager fan kind of go, Aru? Like, did she really just say that? The doctor or whatever he was, the person who was running the station that was the eyewitness, um, as she's talking to him, you know, he's constantly using the term savages to describe the six Starfleet people who um, who took over his station and like caused it to destroy itself. And then Janeway also calls them savages. And that to me was like super duper out of character. Like of all the, of all the like writing that I have seen on, I would say all of prodigy so far, that one line, even though I totally agree with you, I love this episode, that one line where she says that was like totally pulled me out of the moment. And I Yeah, because it's like Janeway suddenly has become like, get off my lawn, Janeway, right? She wouldn't I mean, say that. She would never no, say that. And, and, and just she's seen enough that she should know that things seldom are uh, how they 
appear at first glance, yeah. right? I mean, she she should be way savvier than this. And I understand this is designed with a little bit different audience in mind, right? You know, you're not really so much uh, playing to, you know, super old school Star Trek fans as you are a newer audience unfamiliar with it. So maybe painting in broader strokes is part of that. But still, it, it seemed, I agree with you. It seemed really a little bit out of character there. But uh, I'm really finding myself starting to... Uh, find her uh, crew a little bit more interesting though i still can't believe that's jason alexander i know <laughs> so I, 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 I'm, I'm listening to it very consciously this time and my good god that really is just hysterical casting i mean yeah, really really funny it. <laughs> but but it's great and i love uh it seems this is an interesting era in star trek right now where we i feel like uh, certainly since uh even more so i would argue since uh Enterprise, wow, are we seeing Andorians these days? We're seeing them Andorians in pretty much everything. In the comics, um, we're seeing them on the Enterprise uh, and in officer roles. You know, uh, where they seem to be way more integrated lately and being used more by the writers, which I think is great. I welcome it. I think it's really, really cool. So well, yeah, I love from a, that going here. And from a lore standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because uh, Andorians are known for their military service and, you know, their kind of commitment to um, military thinking and that kind of stuff. And, of course, Starfleet being a quasi-military organization, it makes a lot of sense that Andorians would want to join up. Yeah, it's really so. cool. Yeah. And uh, and I just last thing I'll say is I think it's one of the best lines of the whole show. Um, uh, you know, anybody who's ever wanted to do something like in the creative realm or, or do something you're not sure you should do. Should I ask this person out? Should I do X, Y, Z? I just love that fear of failure has killed more dreams than anything else. That is yeah. absolutely a great line of dialogue to, for a young person to hear. Right. And if this is a show that's primarily targeted towards a young audience, I don't think it's exclusively that way whatsoever. Don't mistake me. Um, friends. I think this is a, not a show to dismiss as a kid show whatsoever. It's great. I just, it's one of those rare things that the whole family of, of Trek fans can watch together because it's, it's working on a bunch of different levels. But that's a fantastic message to hear if you're uh, a younger person, right? And you're, uh, you're afraid of what might happen, you know, so you don't give it a shot. Yep. So I thought that was really great, but excellent, excellent episode for me. Yeah, super great episode. All right, David, what did you think about this one? Oh, man, where to begin? Um, It was probably one of the best episodes I've seen for Prodigy so far that that had been aired. And um, I'm I'm really liking where they're taking it so far. I actually really like the idea that the the Romulans are getting involved and um, all the all those different things that could go wrong or go good. <laughs> it's, starting to, it's starting to get a little bit mysterious almost because this is supposed to be the time like before the Romulan supernova exploded, right? So the Romulans are still intact. Yes. And I'm kind of curious now if there is going to be some sort of an event that leads to the supernova going exploding. Maybe the protostar exploded or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, it would be kind of interesting if they tied in the whole uh, storyline with that and with the exploding stars. So that would be kind of cool. But other than that, um, I'm really starting to like it a lot more and more. It's starting to get uh, very interesting. It's starting to get a lot more involved with politics, which is one of the things I like in movies, like 
<clears throat> you know, you name it, Game of Thrones or any kind of uh, talk shows that deal with internal politics. So it's like, it's really interesting how they're starting to develop uh, the, the different border disputes. It's really interesting how they're tying everything together. But yeah, yeah overall, I, I, I'm really starting to like uh, Prodigy a lot more now. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, David. Uh, the, like DS9 is my favorite for a reason because I love all that political stuff um, in Star Trek. And just to remind uh, our Trek experts and all of our listeners, the Romulan supernova happens in 2387. I believe this season of Prodigy is 2384, so three years in the future. So I think that was actually an excellent point, David, because we see the Romulan Star Empire at its height right now. Like these, well, we'll talk about them a little bit more in the in the next. <laughs> let's let's say let's say yeah. the rest of the conversation for that one. But uh, just going around the horn, uh, Trek experts, David, out of a out of a score of one to ten, how many Delta shields would you give this one? Well. <clears throat> Considering this is one of the best ones made so far, I'm uh, I'm debating between 9.5 to 10. And the reason I'm going to give it a 9.5 because if they don't tie in the whole supernova storyline with this, it's probably going to be about there. But if they do, then it's going to be definitely a 10. But we don't know yet, so I'm probably just going to give it in between. So I'll go 9.7. 9.7 from David Charles. What did you think? Ah. Uh. Very good episode, a little bit of room gap to keep us going, but I'm going to put about 9.2. 9.2 from Charles. Uh, Paul, what do you think? I would give it a 9. I don't like round or I like round numbers. I don't like uh, splitting hairs. So Yeah. <laughs> and to me, 10 is, 10 is reserved for masterpiece level where you're like, okay, that's where every single, you know, mark on the macrometer yep. is just exactly perfect and pristine yeah. and you've like told a classic story. So hold I hold off on the tens there and I don't like to, you know, mince it, you know, with decimals, right? So so me and nine, which is about as strong as it gets for a you know, regular <clears throat> regular listed episode. So really, really well done. Well I will mince I put it right thing. up there with the right up there with all the worlds of stage. I think those two episodes absolutely strongest ones this year. Well, I will mince the things that Paul doesn't mince, and I will go with a <laughs> 9.2. And that gives us a, uh, a Trexpert score of 9.27, which is uh, a little bit above the, the fans this week. So I think that is um, kind of interesting. We've we've been kind of consistently above the fans a little bit over the last couple of episodes. So, uh, But we want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about the next episode as well, which was also most excellent. So Masquerade, Season 1, Episode 15, Trapped in the Neutral Zone, the crew encounters a rogue geneticist who sheds light on Dal's past. Hit it, Jim. Hi there. I'm Kate Mulgrew, and I voice Catherine Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy. This week's lesson is to love ourselves for exactly who we are. Each and every one of us is as unique as the billion stars in the galaxy. Such interesting mandibula. The unique coloration. The skull ganglia. Cherishing all the little things that make us who we are is the best way to start to see and embrace those differences in others. There is no one else like you. 
That's cool. In this week's episode of Star Trek Prodigy, Dahl learns some disheartening news about himself and his origins. I was born in a Petri dish, so I don't have any parents. His confidence broken, he attempts to enhance his body and mind only to discover that his friends need and love him exactly the way he is. All right, and continuing with our fan scores this week, Max Antani said that this episode was a wonderful nine, super smurf, and I think he means Murph, super Murph <laughs> finale. Uh, yeah, absolutely, super Murph. Uh, so thanks, Max. Uh, Gabriel Stevens gave it an eight. Teresa Camuso Kennedy said a five out of ten. The information and the experience in it seems important for future references, but it seemed a little forced. Mariella Neuvenholtz gave it a 7. Ken Swenson, the Admiral himself, gave it a 7.5. In parentheses, Ken, I don't know what that means. Call us up. Give us more info. Alex Ortega gave it a 9. Are you kidding me? Jellico, Okana, genetic manipulation, Eric Sung mentioned Tal Shiar, spy embedded in Starfleet. There are TNG and DS9 episodes that don't go this hard. Anyone who thinks Prodigy is just for kids is missing something great. Echoing our Trexpert Paul, thanks, Alex. Dustin S. Wing gave it a 7. Patricia Vinendahl gave it an 8.4. Benjamin Webster said 10. And Karen Winslow gave a solid 9. That gives us a fan score for Masquerade of 0. And, of course, uh, we need to know where this episode came from. So, Charles, uh, tell us a little bit more about the cadet training for this one. All right. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure where to take this one till I did some research and realized – Oh, by the way, I think I mentioned this before. Eric Sung, dealing with artificial hybrid spe- uh, specifications. Speciation. Let's speciation. <laughs> Thank you. So let's go to Enterprise, Borderlands, season four, season four episode, season four, episode four. Enterprise Coal Station 12, Season 4, Episode 5, and The Augment, Season 4, Episode 6. Yes, we just had somebody had a birthday from those episodes. But this is where we learn another study of one of the songs. And then realizing, oh, we have another group to deal with, the Tal Shiar. We can go all the way back to many episodes, but I think one of them well popular with TNG's Face the Enemy, Season 6, Episode 14, when uh, Deanna Troy was taken hostage by the Tal Shiar and made to be one of the Tal Shiar. Very interesting episode, and we got better details about them. You can also spend time in DS9. I would just say the Dominion War, because there was a lot of Tal Shiar dealings with in the Dominion War. And then more recent, 
Let's talk Picard, season one. We see Tal Shiar agents and other groups in that first season. So there's still a lot to pack from this episode across Star Trek lore. Jim, I bet you've got a second log for us. Vice Admiral's log, Stardate 61368.6. Today was a difficult day. With the protostar in the neutral zone, we could not continue pursuit without violating our treaty with the Romulans. But it became clear the situation was not so simple. Rogue factions within the Romulan Tal Shiar were willing to do anything to steal the dangerous technology supposedly aboard the protostar. Admiral Jellicoe has ordered me to disable Chakotay's ship should it threaten to fall into their hands. Commander Tysus and Ensign Asensio both proved bold in their counsel, but ultimately Starfleet's orders superseded. Enabling a war with the Protostar's destructive potential is not an option. It was a miracle the outlaws aboard the Protostar managed to escape. I take no pleasure in violence, and I'm glad it did not come to that. Our last hope of finding Chakotay lies with that ship. Still, I can't help but wonder what the Tal Shiar's interest in such weaponry could lead to, and what intel they gained from this. Uh, that is a super cool clip, and if you are new to Star Trek, or if you just don't quite remember, there's one uh, character that Admiral Janeway mentions there, uh, who is Edward Jellicoe. Um, and if you go back to the TNG days, uh, episode Chain of Command, uh, Jellicoe is uh, someone from Starfleet who is the same rank as Picard at the time that he comes into the show, but he is ordered by Vice Admiral Necheyev to come and basically take command of the Enterprise, and lots of consternation occurs. Um, him and Riker butt heads pretty hard. Um, he tries to change the like the shift rotation from three shifts to four shifts a day, and everybody freaks out. Um, but he does not make my bad admirals list because I think that he actually did what he was told to do. He did it very effectively. People didn't like his command style uh, one bit, but uh, he's the one that Janeway's kind of talking to in this episode. So uh, having set the stage here, uh, let's talk about this episode here. What did you guys think? Uh, Eric, is it – Sure, yeah, sure. You think it's fair to say, Eric, that uh, Jellico hasn't made your bad admirals list yet? Because <laughs> he is doing some serious scenery chewing in this episode here. Let's I mean, talk about being, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's leaning forward, and you make sure you do – I mean, that, you know, this, this is a – I am a big fan of actor Ronnie Cox, right? I think he's, you know, from back in Deliverance days, right? But this is – this is the Ronnie Cox who played Dick Jones in RoboCop, right? He's just a bastard. I'll smell it on him in this. And he's going to give stern orders. And if you violate the orders, he's going to yell and do all kinds of things. And I, I just get that whiff of him that, that what he's saying, he's like, blow up the ship rather than let the Romulans have it, right? Well, I suspect there's something more going on. He seems like he knows something more than with no shock there that he knows more than Admiral Janeway does, right? That uh, there's something going on. I don't know. I just don't trust him. Maybe it's because of chain of command that I've seen a zillion million times. And I'm just like, he's more weaselly every time, you know, with his good intentions and his, you know, you know, uh, stiff upper lip to the point of paralysis. <laughs> he's just a mm-hmm. jerk. 
So, yeah, I don't trust him at all. So I, 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 if he says do this, I suspect that it will not render a good result. Uh, and uh, if there's something he doesn't want you to do, I think you should do it as quickly as possible. <laughs> well, if there's one thing we know about Jellico is that he loves to micromanage things. And, I mean, he did it in TNG. And then later um, there's an episode of Lower Decks where Tendi's talking about him. And she talks about how he hovers over all of the officers that he commands. And it's it's true. He just – it's like – he has to be in control of things. And so I, I don't disagree with you, Paul. I think, you know, there might be some more Jellico to see in the future here that, that might be more nefarious. Uh, yeah, but it's just secretive. so cool that they get Ronnie Cox, right? Yeah. I mean, they do this all the time on these shows, right, where they go, like going and getting Billy Campbell to play Akona, right? I mean, it is really a class act to go after the original actors who did this and that the actors are willing to do the voice work. Right. And it speaks volumes to the you know cachet that Star Trek has, I think, to, to get these folks to come back and like, you know, portray a character again that they haven't done for decades. Right. I mean, it's super cool that uh, and Ronnie Cox is an actor who steps up to the plate, man. Every Give him a line of dialogue. He's going to just milk it, you know, for everything you can for numerous meanings and shite oh, shadings yeah. and it's just fascinating so you know he maybe he's got me thinking he's a black and white mean guy but there's really good intentions hidden but he's really great at hiding them if that's the case so but uh, i think he was great i think this is a really good episode too it's really really getting hard to uh assess the episodes apart from each other because they uh they overlap so much right in terms of the events from one episode you know feeding into the next um uh, I just briefly give some highlights for me. Um, the it's it's a it's a major major deal. Um, Dow's revelation, right? I mean, the, when he finds out I was mm-hmm. born in a petri dish. I mean, that's really shocking. I mean, that's yeah. really traumatic, right? This is like all the idea he had of of some kind of you know someday I'll find where I belong. Sentimental thing. I'll, someday I'll find my people. Almost reminiscent of like Odo, base nine. Sometimes well, I'll he specifically find... references parents here too. So I wonder if he's got that like you know he's a kid looking for guidance from parents kind of thing going on too. Yeah, and what's really interesting, man, is that I think it's great that you said that because it's like he's got that desire for that you know uh, parental uh, influence, right? That uh, that that you know assistance. But man, is he ever jealous of the way that everyone else likes Okona, right? Mm-hmm. He's super jealous of him to the point of like mocking him to his face under his breath, which I think is hilarious, right? But, uh, but he's, he's very threatened by him, right? He's not immediately drawn to worshiping the older guy, right? Uh, it, it's, it's, I think that's really fascinating. To, I wonder what that's all about, right? But, but interesting character work there. I thought that was really great. Um, uh, so you have to go through all that business with the geneticist and everything. And then uh, it, it gets a little prat folly when you've got all the different uh, buried sub genes popping out with tusks and things and superpowers and stuff like that was, you know, that was a little zany there. Uh, but then I felt like, you know, the message needed to come through that you are, you know, that your, your real friends love you for who you are. And you don't have to pretend to be something you're not and that they accept you, you know, be it a found family versus no family. Your, your, your family is the ones who love you for who you are and who accept you for that. And again, absolutely great message to be conveying. 
uh, for audiences uh, for a show like this. So I thought that was really terrific. Um, I don't know if Dallas even remotely began to make, make peace with that, but to have a, a character who has not made peace with uh, a discovery like that, that's drama. That's exciting. That's really interesting to watch them go through that internal struggle and stuff, right? And especially now that they've left the geneticist behind. Um, I loved the depiction of the Romulans in here oh. with their cool, badass halo jumping, right? <laughs> was, I thought they were great. Those uniforms were cool, man. They're wearing these crazy helmets and jumpsuits and leaping off the space elevator. I thought that was really interesting. And so I like seeing all that stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, playmates, where are my halo jumping Romulan action figures, <laughs> friends? Because it's a really cool design. I'm sure many of us would love to get a hold of those. So um, uh, I can see yeah. it now, Paul. You 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 would set up a, a a series of like four or five of them jumping from the ceiling of uh, yeah, head first, cave. pointed towards the floor. You got it, Absolutely. man. With their you know their weapons, yeah. you know, at the ready. <laughs> How can you not do yeah. that? But that was great. Well, and then uh, yeah, so much good stuff again with uh, Vice Admiral Janeway, right? And yeah. and you know I love that uh, some of her officers are not taking her orders because they think she's too emotional. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a big yeah. deal, wouldn't you that say, man? Weird, I mean, you're, no one's a bigger too. Janeway aficionado than you. I mean, how, did that, how the, did that fly for you, man? And and that was the Andorian who, to me, the Andorian is the one who should be following orders no matter what, right? Uh, like because of what you were one, saying about his military allegiance. Military, straight yeah. up. Yeah, he should be. So, so there were a couple of misses, and I wonder if, like, they're almost – taking some of these existing characters to the state of caricature just to get kind of like the 30,000 foot view of their, um, of their characters out to a younger audience who might not have the sophistication to really care about those types of things. I don't know. I'm not sure. It just, to me, it feels like there were a couple of misrepresentations of character in these couple of episodes here that bothered me. And that was one. Maybe they're just painting with a broader brush, you know, because yeah, yeah. or making their own kind of like, oh, well, our audience is young kind of a thing. So yeah. I don't know. Well, but it's fascinating young... stuff, man. I, I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, yeah. All those and things you, there. Well, and you made a good point about Dal. And I remember when we when this series started, one of the things that you you kind of thought Dal was a little annoying. And I agreed. I thought he was a little annoying. And now he's grown to the point of him being the one in particular in this episode in a very physical and like obvious way, having an identity crisis. And I think that that may resonate with some 21st century kids who might be watching this, you know, what am I? Excellent point. This world, I come from this world. Yeah. And now Dal is, is somebody who like comes from 26 plus human, you know, 27 different worlds. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. There's more to me than I thought. And there's less, of me than I thought in terms yeah. of, you know, my identity is, is it's not necessarily less than I thought it would be, but it's, it's certainly very different than I thought it would be. And grappling with that sense of self is something that everybody goes through. Right. And then, uh, we had a major, uh, plot reveal, uh, back on the dauntless there at the end. Right. I mean, Oof. I thought major, yeah. right. My Ensign mouth Essentia, was open. Right? Yeah. I literally sat that was on the edge deal. of the couch with my mouth open. <laughs> And when we had our special guest, Aaron, on here a couple of weeks ago, I seem to remember making some kind of half-baked comment. It was just like, oh, dude, if you want to bring back Dreadnought, that'd be great. Yeah, he did. 
Because he's such a badass, right? He's this evil Terminator robot, right? And I was just like, wait. And he was very quiet, I remember now. He was super quiet. He didn't say shit. I was like, (laughs) okay, dude. Sorry about that. But he's such a cool character. How do you, like, not, you know, take advantage of having that voice come back again? So it was really cool. And then not only that, right? Essentia is not who she thought of at all. She is one of the diviners. She's a Vonicott. Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, she's in wow. basically uh, like a, what, what would you call her? Is she a mole with the diviner? Do they know each, does he well, know she was going to be there? What the do we know about is, that? that? What was, do we think that was about future, that? That was like future version of her. So something, I, it, there's some things to be resolved in the next season for sure with regards yeah. to that. There's a lot of stuff we don't have answers to yet, right? No. But, but, but super, it's like we can't, we know something now about uh, Essentia that Janeway doesn't know, right? I mean, that's, that's to me, that's yeah. suspense, right? That's big stuff to know that she has no clue of. So I'm really excited for that. We've got a freaking dreadnought <laughs> walking around on the Dauntless. What's that? I mean, we have all kinds of potential for things to go south right away. I think that's maybe setting up a situation where Janeway is going to be in dire straits and she's going to need the Prodigy crew to come save her bacon. That's where I think maybe we're heading. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't like to prognosticate too much, but sometimes it's really hard to resist when you have a cool, badass, murderous robot that's just suddenly resurrected from a coffee table. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, now what? So I don't know. I'm never, never bored by the show, and I never, I'm never really groaning at it either, right? I'm never like, you know, I think that they tend to make uh, the writing team, I'm, I'm sorry to various things in other franchises, but I, I got to say, just for me, in terms of the choices that are made and the plotting decisions in terms of reflecting, you know, what I feel I need as an audience member, I am way more team Prodigy than I am team Picard. Uh, I, I think that they write smarter on this show and way more uh, uh, with tighter lug nuts on the tires. I think that might change, though, coming up on Picard Season 3 from what I'm seeing. It looks like they've really... Uh, given a full radiator flush to the motor there. Um, I, I like what it looks like we're maybe going on Picard, but man, I like the writing on Prodigy. I think it's really clever and deft and uh, they, they make a, they keep never bore me and I'm always interested with the choices they make. So that's kind of my uh, assessment, man. All right, Paul, I'm going to give this one a nine. What did you give this one? Um, you know, I was I was gonna give it an eight at first, but then the more I really was just compared to the one we just talked about. But you know what? I uh, the more I talk about it, the more I'm appreciating stuff that I I, I and I've only, I've only watched this one once. I gotta say, but the more I'm appreciating you know, how it fits into the larger picture of the plot, I think I gotta go with a nine as well because I think it's 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 a great companion piece for Crossroads, right? And uh, I think it was really solid, and it, it sure ended strong. And, you know, how do you give anything less than a nine that has Ronnie Cox in it? I don't know about that. I feel bad. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I got to give it a nine, man. I think uh, and uh, at some point uh, I'm looking forward in the next day or so to watching the one that just uh, dropped today. I still haven't seen it yet, but, man, I'm, I'm sure ready to. That's for sure. So great work there, Prodigy writers. You have got it going on. All right. David, what did you think of Masquerade this week? Oh, man. <laughs> Lots of cool things going on. Um, I don't even know where to begin. 
like Paul said, I've only seen it once, so I'm trying to remember bits and pieces of it. Um, I I I was very surprised that the uh, the trill of all people was not a trill. <laughs> Um, I was surprised that the coffee table turned into, uh, the robot. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of cool things that happened in this episode and I'm really excited for, uh, this week, which I haven't seen yet, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, oh, wow, there's just so much, um, I'm speechless to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like trying to figure out like what to f- first say, and like uh, it's just it's really hard to put two words together. <laughs> well, what do you think on a scale um, of one to ten? How did you think about the episode? Uh, I'm definitely giving it a ten. <laughs> totally. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm speechless. It's 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 really hard to describe for some reason right now. My mind is like <laughs> ping ping ping. But yeah. Awesome. All yeah. right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, and Charles, why don't you uh, bring us home on Prodigy? Well, let's start off with the fact, uh, look at all the emotions and what Dahl went through. He first sits there and find, finds out that he's been through a procedure. A procedure that's Section 31 level. He goes through and decides to get the enhancement, and look at the emotions he goes through, the characters he goes through. He goes through one that just about knocks out all of the Tal Shiar agents, and then the fighter and the emotions he goes through, and we get a real definite feel. I think we get, I think we get a little more feeling of we like Dal. We kind of realize Dal's got issues, and hey, he's not a flat two-dimensional one or two-dimensional character. He's got a lot of dimension to him. But everybody walked through and missed all about, look at, look at our new character, Murph. He's sitting there as this little toddler, and yet Murph is like, let me out, let me out. And they say, okay, we are on our last edge. Let him out. Boom, there he goes, and he takes out the Tal Shiar. And he is a mean little character. And then he goes and shields them to protect them from the elements. Man, New Murph is an interesting character. <laughs> Everybody's always wanting to get their little Murph character. It's like, okay, we're going to release the, new, the Murph character. It's like, Okay, but I want the 2.0 Murph, too, because we got the new Murph. And new Murph is an interesting character. We don't know much about him yet. But he's our new security officer, and he's going to be a character to keep an eye on. I think he really did a great job with this episode. I can't wait to see what they're doing with the next one. And I think I'm going to match match last episode and go with a 9.2 as well. All right. Thanks, Charles. So from our Trexperts, then that gives us a, a Trexpert score of 9.3, which is right on par with the last episode that we reviewed. So um, 
Yeah, both last week's episode and uh, the previous week's episode, uh, our Trexperts are just a little bit uh, above our fan scores. That's, you know, that's to be expected. Uh, there's a lot more diversity out there in the world than there is here on the podcast. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd look at the fan scores for probably what the real what the real answer is. Right, guys? <laughs> all right. Well, I think that... The fans really loved all the world to stage, and that's our highest one so far, a 9.6 for both the fans and the hosts. Yeah, yeah, that one was something special, um, yeah. which I thought, I thought was really cool. All right, well, uh, so that does it for our Prodigy reviews this week. Um, and so I believe that our next order of business is to move on to our convention, convention. Calendar, 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 calendar. All right, folks, we like to track all sorts of conventions all over the country and the world. And if you have a convention or a Star Trek-related gathering that's getting together... Uh, give us a shout at trektalking.com, and we will make sure and get that on our convention calendar so your event can be announced right here on the air, like the ones that you're about to hear. So our very first convention calendar shout-out this week goes out to Anthro New England, January 20th through the 22nd at the Weston Boston Seaport District. Heck of a hotel. Been there many times in good old Boston, Massachusetts. But not to be outdone, down in Texas, we've got... Ekman's Card, Comic, and Toy Show the same weekend, January 21st, in the San Antonio Shrine Auditorium in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. And we're also going to be checking out Retromania, also in Texas, the same weekend at the New Brownfells Civic Convention Center in New Brownfells, Texas. David, which conventions are you keeping track of? Well, it looks like we're going to have a Garden, <clears throat> Garden State Comic Fest, Winter Fest 2023, January 28th through 29th at the Sussex uh, Country or County Fairgrounds in Augusta, New Jersey. Uh, next on my list is North Dow's Toy Show. I bet Paul would really love this one. <laughs> one day only at February 4th. Celebration Event Center and Ballroom Plano in Texas. Uh, last on my list is the Anime Gaming Expo, February 4th and 5th of 2023, over at the Big Frenzo Fairgrounds at Frenzo, California. Paul, what's on your list? Oh, man, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, covering the month of February here. First off in Ontario, California, uh, we have Creepy Con. Now, emphasizing here the word creepy, uh, the I and E at the end of creepy are big capital letters. That's because we're there in Ontario. You're in the heart of Inland Empire. That's the giant metro region adjacent to southern coastal California around San Bernardino, Riverside area around that. You got L.A. County to the west. Amazing area with just chock-a-block of fans and this one's a big horror fan friends if uh in particular it's like half the people who've ever been in a scream movie are at this one it's like skeet ulrich matt lillard jamie kennedy lee waddell 
uh, all kinds of uh, Alex Winter uh, from Bill and Ted's going to be there. Um, a lot of the actors who've been on Walking Dead, uh, Tom Payne, Ryan Hurst, all kinds of big horror fans and horror personalities are going to be there. So I would definitely, if you're a horror fan in uh, Inland Empire, get the down there and uh, check it out February 4th and 5th at the Ontario Convention Center. Just down the road uh, next week after in Long Beach at the Long Beach Convention Center, it is the Long Beach Comic Expo 2023. That's February 11th through 12th. Again, Long Beach Convention Center, 11th to the 12th. You can get your comic mayhem on at that particular event. And then moving a little bit further uh, to the east, if you are in uh, Indiana on here in Plainfield, um, February 24th through 26th at the Embassy Suites Event Center. It's Anime Crossroads 2023. There are a lot of big anime uh, conventions happening uh, these days. Uh, huge, huge events. Uh, if you're not up with the anime, this is a great way to go in there and check out and see a lot of uh, personalities who are part of that uh, very, very thriving industry. So check it out. Um, a lot going on. I'll pass it to Charles. Hi, thank you. I was looking something up. Let's start off with WillowCon, March 24th to 26th, 2023. Wayne State College in Wayne, New England. Yeah. Uh, yeah. DecalCon, March 24th to 26th, Lancaster County Convention Center. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Megacon Orlando, March 30th to April 2nd. Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, in uh, Orlando, Florida. Oh. Uh, computer, activate news. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Uh, thanks, Jim. Each week here at Trek Talking, we like to give you just a little flavor of the Trek news that's going on in the world. And so Jim takes the latest and greatest Star Trek articles out there and scrunches them down so that we can talk about them in just a few minutes. And we've only got a couple articles this week, mostly because we knew we were double reviewing episodes of Prodigy, so we were going to take up a little bit more time. So, Paul, why don't you get our news segment started? Thanks, brother. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think most folks actually probably have already heard this already. But uh, Star Trek Mission Seattle 2023, that convention, friends, has been canceled terminated, kaput, over, kibosh, gone, flushed. On the last day of Star Trek Mission Chicago in April, Reed Pop announced their next convention was going to be held in Seattle, Washington on Memorial Day weekend in 2023. People were excited. Corks were popped. Since that first announcement, though, Reed Pop hadn't had any updates to the official site or via the Star Trek Mission social media accounts until now, when they made the following sobering, depressing announcement. After careful consideration, unfortunately, decision has been made not to move forward with the Star Trek Mission Seattle event 2023. 
We are working on new ways to bring our favorite Star Trek fans the optimum experience. We look forward to celebrating together again in the future. That to me sounds like a, a reorg lingo. I smell it from 10 miles away. So all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. Wish you all well. Um, but man, that's a, that's a bit of a, a brand tanker right there, friends. A hard one to get over. So Reed Pop hadn't started selling tickets for the event yet, which is good, so there's no need to worry about getting refunds issued. However, fans who book travel for that weekend already will have to deal with getting those things canceled and get that taken care of, and don't forget about it, so that you refund your thing. If you're a con traveler, get travel insurance. I think that's maybe the uh, the takeaway here. And that the convention world is in constant flux. These things are expensive. These things are not easy to organize. And uh, very often they fall uh, apart, especially as we're on, you know, uncertain economic times. This announcement follows news that this year's Destination Star Trek event in London will be the final con for massive events, unless they also cancel, uh, who held the official Star Trek license for conventions in Europe. So hopefully that one will go ahead. Um, we will see. But, you know, uh, there's no guarantees except Sunset, friends. So that's the one thing you can count on. Uh, that's all I've got there, and I, I will now take the uh, the newspaper and flip it over beneath the fold and pass it back to Eric. Uh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, very, very sad. Obviously, uh, the Portland trifecta here being not that far from Seattle, I was kind of looking forward to potentially attending that con. Um, so that's pretty disappointing. And hopefully, as Paul was saying, all of y'all out there who already booked things um, – can get your money back. Uh, we're we're keeping our fingers crossed and rooting for you. But I got something a bit more positive. Star Trek: Strange New Worlds and Lower Deck crossover will be a comedy. That's right. Actor and director Jonathan Frakes, the man, the myth, the legend, reveals that Star Trek: Strange New Worlds crossover with the animated series Star Trek: Lower Decks will be a comedy. Frakes explained that the upcoming Strange New Worlds crossover episode with Lower Decks will be a comedy. The former Star Trek Next Generation star, who has reprised his role on Lower Decks, is set to direct this episode. He revealed, quote, it is a flat-out comedy. I gotta say, it's a big swing, but they're not afraid of big swings. I think that's one of the reasons this show is so successful, don't you? It's a crossover episode with Lower Decks in which Boimler, played by Jack Quaid, and Mariner, played, of course, by Tawny Newsom, cross over into the ship on Strange New Worlds as their real selves. So they go from animated to three-dimensional, and it's hysterical. It's such a great idea with Pike also getting animated. I think I was assigned this episode because I had done a couple of Lower Decks as Riker and because I'm a big fan of Mike McMahon, who was kind of a co-writer with Strange New World's co-showrunner, Henry Alonzo Myers. So I believe whoever made the decision realized that they're stretching the limits of the comedy of Riker on Lower Decks. And knowing me personally, this would be a good fit. And as you can imagine, it was a blast. The way Boimler and Spock in this episode, let's call them Spoimler, are spectacular. <laughs> and Anson Mount is a natural comedian. Anson is very funny, and I don't think I would disagree with that. Um, man, what do you guys think of this article? I'm so excited that we get some wise words from the man himself about this. It makes me want to see it even more. Well, I hope they don't spoil any more. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Paul would disagree with you, right, Paul? 
Yeah, you know, usually with this stuff is, uh, I mean, I love, I mean, promotion's a good thing, right? But I, I typically, for me, the less I know going into a show, the better. I don't want to know anything. You know, I, I like to be surprised by things. And to me, that's that's the power of the good storytelling, right? So it's, uh, I'd rather not know. I'd really rather not know. Yeah. It sounds like Frakes has been uh, lobbying pretty hard to, to, to get the next theatrical picture, too, when, uh, if they ever finally decide which theatrical picture they're going to make. <laughs> That's the next yeah. project. He, he's really been, I mean, they've had so many self-destructs and development hell scenarios for the last few years. It's just been nuts. But it sounds like he's been trying to, like, position himself as the, the steady hand, right? The guy who's been in multiple arms of the franchise and understands Star Trek. Right, you kind of, yeah. you know, the 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 seasoned veteran, if you will, who stays calm and can mount things up. So it'll probably be successful because I don't see anybody else. Uh, you know, you see they, you know, bring people in every now and then, like with Star Trek Beyond, who have no Star Trek experience. You know, and, and you get some mixed results. But here's a guy who's, you know, arguably, you know, directed some of the most successful Star Trek uh, stories ever especially theatrically. So I think he might be able to pull it off and get it. But man, I just, I wish they would finally decide on where they want to go with the uh, theatrical releases, you know, and it, it seems yep. in, a, in a very confusing state and uh, get a good fricking script. That's all I ask. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Comics are doing great. Comics are on fire. Yeah, and I think you're totally right when it comes to Frakes being, like, touting himself, and I don't think he's wrong uh, as the kind of steady hand of Star Trek, and what I hope that doesn't mean is that the kind of fresh, innovative side of Star Trek that we've seen, you know, I would argue mostly in Star Trek Discovery, but um, even in some of these other shows that we're reviewing now, you know, we're seeing a lot more representation in the people who are directing these uh, episodes or writing these episodes, and I hope that we continue to see that, not to diminish Frake's compli- uh, accomplishments, because he's obviously, um, as you were saying, you know, some of the best uh, come out of his brain. So, but he is an old white guy. <laughs> but he is an old white guy. So, you know, you know that's let's why say I, let's I, say I, it. And I think that's why his episodes are best when sprinkled in, you know, like I would not want Frakes to direct an entire season uh, of Star Trek, for example, you know, I think it's the best to like bring him in when you need the, the Frakes zing. (laughs) And maybe this comedy is like one of those times, you know? So I don't know. Uh, Charles, did you have anything else to say about that there? No, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that episode. And we talked about the fact they talked about animating Mount, and we thought maybe it might be in the Lower Deck series. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be in the Strange New World series. But I look forward to see what they do with that that show. And I think that's going to be one we're going to be doing a lot of talking about that episode. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with Mount's hair. I think that's going to be epic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you can animate that, that that's hair. That's an and... interesting thought there, Charles, because I was just thinking, is the animated version a, another type of multi-universe, like another universe type thing where everybody starts to become cartoons? So I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We're going to see. Yeah, they say big swings, so, you know, I mean, the simple answer would be, like, it's a holodeck episode or something, but I I, I don't know. Uh, we don't have holodecks yet. I think so. it's a big swing around the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, well, that does it then for our Star Trek news segment. And uh, and here we are. Uh, you know what that means, guys. We're unfortunately edging toward the end of our show here. Um, we are. We are. It's good. Did the bottom yeah. of the hour. I and just throw out uh, throw out fans too that there's a lot of new Star Trek comics that came out this week. Uh, Lower Decks number three and the new flagship Star Trek title number two from IDW came out this week, and they've uh, announced that uh, Star Trek title will be a prominent part of Free Comic Book Day this year. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but that sounds like a zinger. So uh, get to the comic book shop. Sounds pretty awesome. I just uh, got a hold of Cosmic Monkey today and made sure that that, uh, that issue of Free Comic Book Day got stuck in my box. So thanks, Paul. And next week, we, of course, will continue our reviews of Prodigy. Uh, next week is Episode 16, Preludes, just came out tonight. So you got seven days to watch it before you rejoin us here at Trek Talking uh, for our show next week. Um, I will tell you that we just kind of decided based on uh, Jim's, uh, you know, sickness condition here right now that I think we're going to skip our show, his health situation. We're going to skip our show this coming Monday. uh, So you get one show off, but you can absolutely rejoin us in exactly seven days right back here next Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.30 p.m. Pacific Coast Time for our review of Star Trek Prodigy Prelude. So uh, before we go, I would like to say thank you very much to David. Thanks for joining us tonight, David. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks. Absolutely. And thank you very much to Charles way down there in Las Vegas. Thanks, Charles. Oh, thank you very much. It was a great Trek talk, Trek show. A lot to talk about with Prodigy. Completely agree with you, Charles. Um, Jim, would you like to croak out a greeting here as we say goodnight? <clears throat> well, I'd like to say thank you to you guys for carrying the show for me. I've been listening in the background. And thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, go to TrekTalking.com, and I'll be back bright as ever, voice fixed up next Thursday. So thanks a lot, guys. And thank you to Paul here in Portland. Thanks, Paul. My pleasure, man. It was great. Uh, that uh, I hope uh, Jim's getting the, the care he needs there, buddy. I'm telling you. It, <laughs> just, that does not sound like fun. So rest up. Take care of yourself. And uh, here's to uh, a good week, friends. Take care of each other. Lots of love and good thoughts going out to Jim. Join us at trektalking.com, and we shall see you next week. Good night, y'all. Good night. Live long and prosper. Good night, peoples. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.